Hi everyone and welcome to this fortnight's podcast. My name is Jan Orford and I'll once again be your host. Today's podcast will concentrate on providing members with an evidence-based approach to policy development and policy review. I'm very pleased to welcome Karen Crawford, who is the Chair of the Course Accreditation and Standards of Practice or CASP Committee. Karen has had extensive experience with the development and review of policy at a national and clinical level. She chaired the review of the ADEA core competencies for credential diabetes educators and is in the process of reviewing the national standards for CDEs. So hi Karen and welcome and thank you for taking the time to be with us today. Hi Jan and thanks for the opportunity to be part of this and to be here and share my thoughts and understandings on this topic. Look, I'd like to start and, and ask you perhaps how you would define policy in a clinical setting. That's a great place to start, Jan, because I think um, often there are some um, confusions and people aren't always clear about the terminology around this area. So it's great to begin with where we're starting and what we mean. And in fact, there are some things that are on the website which may be helpful to revisit and for people as reminders along the way. But when we're talking about policy, I think we're considering the principles of care that are adopted by an organisation or an employer um, as those things that must be followed or adhered to by their employees and staff. So that could be a hospital, a community health centre or any other organisation that has a policy. Under this umbrella too are a number of aspects that inform that policy and create the underpinning components of it. The first of which I feel are clinical guidelines and this is the evidence that underpins the care decisions that form policy. So it should be evidence-based by a credible source or association. So organisations, if you're talking about paediatric diabetes, for instance, like ISPAD on an international level or APEG on an Australasian level, and even further, so from the United Kingdom, the NICE um, national um, guidelines. So they're great places to go when looking at clinical guidelines. The other element is standards of care. So that is the level of attainment as established by a professional authority. And often that is profession specific. So it could be nursing, dietetics, pharmacy, but certainly ADEA have standards of care for diabetes education also. Procedures or practices are also an important part and these are the recommended steps to be used and implemented when actually providing care to clients, patients or people with diabetes. So the what to do, when to do it and how in a step-by-step -step way. These things are all really important because it comes down to safety for both the clients, the patients or the consumers, but also for the staff who are involved. 
So the other part, I guess, to think about the context for today's discussion is to clarify that the context is one that we want to incorporate across the principles of diabetes care policy development and review that can be applied in a variety of clinical settings where diabetes education is practiced. So that could be everything and anything from the acute public hospital environment to individual private practice in a remote location. And again, I'd encourage people to have a look at the website to, for a bit of a reminder on some of these terminologies. So Karen, what, having outlined those, those important issues, what do you think are the skills members need to develop to ensure they're developing and implementing quality and effective policies at the clinical level? I guess the most important starting point is a really thorough understanding of current best practice and particularly around standards of care. So in an ongoing learning environment, that really comes down to continuing professional development. And I would consider that to be important over and above that which is required to maintain your registration and or credentialing status. So a commitment to going the extra mile, to seeking out additional opportunities to extend your own professional understanding and being proactive to encourage yourself to be exposed to all and any new developments in the world of diabetes, whether that be technology, drugs or any component of diabetes care. The other aspect that I think is really important is the ability to network at any and every opportunity. So taking the opportunity to meet with, to communicate with and to work with your peers and colleagues at all levels of seniority. So that means from the professor or the head of the unit right down the hierarchical tree, if you like. So, and across all relevant professional groups. So a multidisciplinary approach. Included under that, I'd say, is also a mentor. So at ADEA, we take the um, concept of mentoring really seriously. So using a mentor as another opportunity to network and connect well and building those networks on an ongoing basis. And this is what works both ways and with the encouragement and support of each professional person that you work with, a mutual respect that works between those people in a reciprocal way. I'm a great believer in, in thinking that we should stop reinventing the wheel. And I guess what I wanted to ask you is how can we stop doing that? And really, are there steps that should be taken to ensure that the policy that is being developed is actually evidence-based? Absolutely, Jan. No one wants to waste time and energy. We are all really time poor and working in diabetes in particular. And reinventing the wheel is both unnecessary and an inefficient way of using time. 
I think I've come up with um, my sort of top 10 tips, if you like, of um, how to um, approach the issue of looking at um, policy development. And I think my number one is probably using Google because actually it's really a, an easy way to start and to start considering um, an overview of an issue and a way to look at more detail as well. Number two would be talking with your manager wherever you are working. There should be somebody in a managerial position to you that you can talk about the issue of policy development um, that exists and is something really necessary and is there something we can start with to already work with. And talking to those people around you that you work with, your colleagues, so their opinion to confirm that there's um, an issue or and seeking their input because if they don't think that there's an issue then there's no point in pursuing this any further. Talking to colleagues who work in other places as well so not just where you are working but extending your network of communication and consideration to a wider range of people and again looking at that multidisciplinary approach a cross-section of those people within the team who could be impacted or involved by a particular policy um, and the way that work is done. My sixth point is to consider the consumer and this is almost always relevant but it's something that takes time and it's an aspect that should be considered right at the very start of working through this type of process and something that needs to be planned for because it does take time um, but it's a very very important component that shouldn't be underestimated. Searching wide on an international level can also be helpful and seeing what else has been done overseas is a great place to start and while it's worthwhile we must con consider that the Australian context and what is most relevant to us here in Australia is where we need to come back to. So adapting something from overseas can be time efficient and helpful but if it's not relevant to the local context then it means nothing and it becomes inefficient. But in line with that we must be aware of intellectual property and plagiarism. So it's great to be able to consult and to consider other people's work in a similar area but don't copy and use things without their permission. And when you do use other places and other sources, be sure to acknowledge all of those who contribute. Karen, can you describe for us perhaps the process in terms of reviewing and developing a new policy? I mean, in other words, are there any resources that you can recommend to help our members do that? I think there are no one only way to approach this. There are many policy development models and diagrams that once you start looking, 
there are lots of things that you can become confused with, and, but there's no one single thing that's better than the other. But there are, I think, considerations that need to be incorporated into the process um, that can be helpful. And on the website, we've provided a couple of um, suggestions which might help if you don't have something to start with as a bit of a flowchart type of um, approach. But I think the first question to ask yourself is, is this a brand new policy that needs to be developed or is it a review of something that already exists? And if it is something that already exists, then what is it that precipitated the need for um, the review? Is it part of a cycle? Um, or if it's a brand new policy, what was it that prompted the need for a new policy in this particular area to be developed? Once you've asked yourself those couple of questions and, and thought through that beginning point, then it's important to establish a working group of some sort. This process isn't something that can easily and neither should it be done on your own. So a working group with a broad base is a really helpful place to start and considering the right people that can work together and be time efficient and come up with the goods is a great place to start. And when you're thinking about that policy, I mentioned, you know, what was it that triggered or prompted that the policy needed to be developed? So going back and looking at a needs assessment to confirm why a policy is needed um, or needs to be reviewed, and then part of this is considering the time frame that might be involved. Consulting both internal and external networks as part of that needs assessment and the working group and making that a broad multidisciplinary inclusion. It's a really strong encouragement and idea to look at the research that already exists in an area. So doing a literature review, which could be either a comprehensive or a broad base, but it needs to be appropriate for the context. And part of this is considering what the evidence is around this area that already exists. Once you've done that, you can start working on a draft of a document that is a policy structure. And there may be aspects that um, already exists in the organisation that can um, assist when it comes to structure and content and the areas that are needed to be included. Involving your working group and discussing the process with each other as a team and refining and amending the content well to um, come up with perhaps a first draft. And then this then can be submitted for the first part of approval. And it may be that within your organisation there could be various levels of approval process. 
before a particular policy can be implemented. Once that approval has been obtained, then it's time to think about putting it into practice. So getting it out there into the field and actually implementing and using this policy. My number 10 or the final bit here is evaluation. And while I've mentioned this kind of at the end, it's an aspect that should be utilised throughout the whole process. One of the models we've put on the website, which is a circular, colourful, wheel-like model, is one that I particularly like, partly because it has the concept and the inclusion of evaluation as one that goes throughout the whole process. So it is not a static once-only type of um, add-on. It's something that should be included throughout the whole policy development process. I think the other thing to remember is that ongoing policy review and evaluation should be incorporated into the policy development process. It may be that a formal and full review may be, may be required every 12 months or perhaps every three years even. It depends on the type of policy and the organisation that is involved. Um, there are lots of different ways of doing this, no hard and fast rules, but it is a part of a cycle of policy development is building in the review process. Karen, I'm sure you'll agree that the whole implementation and communication of a new policy is often quite problematic and I just wonder if you can recommend a process for ensuring that staff are both aware of the new policy or, or reviewed policy and thus able to implement it properly. Absolutely Jan, I think once you've worked hard on something and put it into place and learnt a lot from what you've investigated, you want others to know about it. So you want to make sure that what you've done is disseminated and is shared with the appropriate community so that changes can occur and practice can be improved. So I think the first place to start is getting the actual title of the policy right. So making sure that it's catchy, not too long, that it makes sense and that it's relevant. And if it's on an internal system holding um, like an intranet that needs to be accessed by various people or departments, make sure it's easy to find um, because if it gets lost in the wash then it's of no use to anybody. Making sure that anything new is consistent with and linked to other policies and relevant documents, procedures and guidelines etc um, that already exists. So considering language, terminology that is used and links to other relevant sister documents and, and thoughts is really important. You also need to know your target audience. So who is this new policy or existing policy being directed towards? Is it the whole organisation? Is it just the nursing staff? Is it just the diabetes teams? 
who is the target audience? Who do you need to communicate this to? And thinking about those communication strategies, usually a, a variety of modes of communication are important to implement. So a variety of strategies. And if you're going to be doing education sessions in a face-to-face -face way on occasion, then apply the rules of keeping them short, relevant, interactive, and at multiple flexible times so that you can suit a variety of people that for whom this is relevant. And again, I emphasise that evaluation must be incorporated throughout. And evaluation is not just a formal um, structural evaluation. That's a really important component. But don't discount the value of ad hoc evaluation and comments and feedback as well. But that formal evaluation is important. But if you, when and if you do that, it should not be onerous and lengthy and take a heap of time for people to do it because that is what it makes people become disengaged and can't be bothered and reduces the quality of the evaluation data that you're able to collect. And I think the other helpful hint I would give is don't take not so positive feedback personally. Feedback may not be positive. We'd like to think that it's always positive and glowing and haven't you done a fabulous job and this hits the mark so well. But if it's not all positive, then seeing it as an opportunity to learn and improve um, and not taking it personally, I think is a really helpful approach. So Karen, thank you so much for, for your contribution to what is really a vital part of the work that we do in terms of policy setting. But I wonder if before we close, you're able to perhaps outline three take-home messages for our members from today's discussion. Thanks, Jan. Um, I, hope, I hope that what I've covered briefly is of help to people. And I think my, my first key take-home message is don't be afraid to get involved. Have a go. Speak up volunteer, put your hand up, say, yeah, I'm willing to have a go at reviewing or developing a policy. Don't see it as a scary thing to be involved in. My second helpful hint or key take home message today would be about teamwork. So involve your colleagues and relevant stakeholders. Working well as a team is really important. And I think finally, that current evidence and best practice is absolutely paramount to ensure that the highest quality of care is incorporated into any policy or practice in our world of diabetes education. Karen, thank you so much once again. And I hope that this podcast has certainly inspired our members to start thinking about working towards expanding their skills in this area, because it is so important to the work we do. I'd also like to thank you, the members, for taking the time to listen to this podcast. And please take time to download some of the valuable references that Karen has referred to throughout her presentation. Um, and they've been provided on our LMS site. 
Um, you can also upload any questions you may like to address to our speaker as a result of listening to this podcast. So feel free to communicate on that. So thank you once again, Karen, and see you all next fortnight. Goodbye.